Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear friends, on the seventh day of Christmas, my true love gave to me seven swans a-swimming. Actually, the gospel reading today is also assigned to the 40th day of Christmas, which Lutherans call the presentation of our Lord, and Roman Catholics refer to as the purification of the Virgin. And in parts of Europe, it is also known as Candlemas, and in the United States, it is known as Groundhog Day, <laughs> February 2nd. There are parts of the Christian world, and there used to be more, where there are not just 12 days of Christmas, but there are 40 days of Christmas, extending to the day that we now call February 2nd, based on today's gospel readings, 40 days. Some people would leave their decorations up for 40 days, so if you're lazy about taking yours down, just leave them up till February 2nd, and you're, you can call yourself an ancient Christian. The very first three verses of today's Christmas story are each important. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, according to the law of Moses. If, if we went through that whole reading, it just occurred to me reading it again now, to circle every time that it said under the law or according to the law, to circle the law. How many times would that be? Maybe seven, I don't, I'm not sure. According to the law of Moses, this indicates that Mary and Joseph were very, very good, observant Jews. And as we always see through the Advent season in preparation for Christmas, the coming of Jesus is deeply rooted in Old Testament hopes and expectations. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, this is the purification, the Jewish purification of a mother after childbirth. And this, this name is why Roman Catholics call February 2nd the purification of the virgin. Leviticus chapter 12, after childbirth, the mother is ceremonially, ceremonially unclean for seven days. And then there is a cleansing period of an additional 33 days, seven plus 33, 40 that cleansing period is required before she can go to a religious place like the temple. A total of 40 days. This is strange to many of us, but this is part of the very cautious attitude, perhaps the reverent attitude, perhaps the fearful attitude taken toward blood in the law of Moses in many places. But that's where we get the 40 days of Christmas. If Jesus really was born on December 25th, and this might really have taken place on February 2nd. That's the first verse of today's gospel, the law, according to the law, purification according to the law. In the second verse, it says, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. This is a separate regulation, a separate law, this one from Exodus. Every firstborn male of any species, human, yes, donkey, yes, sheep, yes, was supposed to be presented to God as a symbolic offering. And the reason that this was done was in connection with Passover. In pa at Passover, the firstborn sons and the firstborn animals, all of them, firstborn male animals, across Egypt were slain. And so 
when, for Jews then to remember God's grace and mercy and protection at Passover for them, they were expected to present their firstborn males of any kind as an offering to God symbolically. So when Mary, Joseph, and Jesus go to the temple on this occasion, they are complying with two separate aspects of the law that was given to Moses. One pertains to Mary and her ritual status after childbirth, and one pertains to Jesus' status as a firstborn male. When Roman Catholics call February 2nd the purification of the Lord, they are demonstrating a focus on one aspect, the Mary aspect. When Lutherans call February 2nd the presentation of the Lord, they are demonstrating a focus upon the status of Jesus. But in fact, both aspects of the story are true. They are two separate laws rooted in the law of Moses. And the third verse in today's gospel, they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law, there's that word again, in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. This is also from Leviticus. But it indicates that they were poor. The designated offering was a lamb. But if you were poor, there was a clause. There was a poverty escape clause in the law of Moses. And you were allowed to give two birds instead of a much more costly lamb. So collectively, these first three verses demonstrate something important about Jesus, that he was raised in a very devout family and that he was raised in a very poor family. That's what these, these, these verses are telling us, among many other things. At the temple, the family meets two important characters. Now, we've had the opportunity, if you were here, to talk about one of them, Anna or Hannah. We talked about her on December 10th during Advent. Anna is a transliteration of Hannah. And Hannah's song from 1 Samuel forms the background of Mary's song, the Magnificat. And another significant thing about Anna is that she is a woman. She represents something distinctively important, a prophetess, that's the actual word in the Bible. And so she is a remarkable character who represents a significant connection to the past and to the future. You can go look up that sermon on our website. That was December 10th. I'm not going to repeat it today. Anybody want me to repeat it? Got it? How much time? Okay. The other character, the new part, the other character that the family meets is Simeon. And Simeon gives us the fourth of the four songs, the four canticles that come from the first two chapters of Luke. Songs that we usually go through somehow during the Advent and Christmas season. There is the song of Mary, commonly called the Magnificat. There is the song of Zechariah, probably the least known to you, but the song of Zechariah, who is the father of John the Baptist. Then there is the song of the angels on Christmas Eve, glory to God in the highest. And there is Simeon's song, Lord, now you let your servant go in peace. As we said back on December 10th, Mary's song would be sung by devout Christians at evening prayer, at sunset. But now that you know all four songs we can fill in the chart, Mary's song would be sung at evening prayer, Zechariah's song would be sung at morning prayer, the angel's song, glory to God in the highest, would be sung on Sunday. It's real important here, it's important to me and Eric Holton, probably not important to you, 
it's real, it's real important that we go through the Advent season without singing the angels' song. And then on Christmas, we put the angels' song back into the service. And then today, for the 11 o'clock service, we had to put glory to God back into the service. But we're set using setting eight, and Eric says that the glory to God in the highest in setting eight is too hard for us when he's not here. So, so we had to put in number 163, which is more known to us. And then that two minutes before the service began, Kevin appears and says he can't find the music that goes, the, the organist edition that goes with that. So he's scrambling around, going through all the papers up there. He found the backup copy of the, of the book. And then he scrambled down here to the piano and was sight reading that piece for us when we got to the, the angels song. So good for Kevin, right? <laughs> um, um, but that's, that, that's why uh, it's important to have that song, Glory to God in the Highest. That's the angel song. That's the Christmas Eve song. And it is part of Sunday worship traditionally. So Mary's song at evening prayer, Zechariah's song at morning prayer, the angel's song on, on Sundays, and, Ze and then Simeon's song. And Simeon's song, Lord, now you let your servant go in peace, would be sung at bedtime in a service sometimes called Compline, which is in your, your worship book on page 320, prayer at the end of the day, bedtime prayer. Lord, now you let your servant go in peace. The idea of resting in peace is invoked as a prayer at bedtime. And it is invoked by pastors like me at the time of death. You can't ever be a pastor and not associate this with death because you, this is what you pray when somebody takes their last breath, if at all possible. Our translation, Master, now you, this guy was old. He was going to die. He had been told, you're not going to die until you see the Messiah. Well, now he's seen the Messiah. He's going to die. Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. That's a very rich text. One of the many things that it does is that it catapults what has so far been an extremely Jewish story, as we have seen all through these last weeks, an extremely Jewish story is now catapulted toward a universal horizon from the Jews to the Gentiles, a light to reveal you to the Gentiles, to the nations. As I said, Simeon's words are musical, and this is the fourth of four songs from Luke. And those songs, if you prayed them morning, evening, bedtime, and on Sunday, they would form an entire lifestyle of Christian spirituality. And of course, these hymns, these songs from Luke, lay a foundation for all of the singing life of the church, for all of the uh, um, singing that we do in worship. When I became a Lutheran in the 1980s, it was common for us in the churches I went to to sing Simeon's words at the end of communion. Communion was very different. I was raised as a Presbyterian. Communion was very different when I came into the Lutheran churches. Presbyterians take communion sitting in the pews. Lutherans go to the altar. Presbyterians use many, many, many little glasses in trays most of the Lutherans, some Lutherans do that, but most Lutherans where I worshiped used a chalice or two. And one of the other things that was different was that Lutherans sometimes sang 
Lord, now you let your servant go in peace um, at the end of communion, after communion. In those days, some of you may have experienced this. Um, There was a song called Thank the Lord and Sing His Praise. See, you remember. You're not that old until you're the youngest person here. (laughs) Thank the Lord and sing his praise. See, I got into a fight with somebody about, he was complaining about the red book because he liked the green book. So he was complaining about the red book. I said, this is not the red book. This is the cranberry book, you young whippersnapper. This is the red book. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) um, uh, where where I was becoming a Lutheran, the Lutherans would sing after communion, thank the Lord and sing his praise, but alternating that with, Lord, now you let your servant go in peace, Simeon's song. And I thought at the time, what could be more Lutheran than this practice of using Simeon's words after communion? It's a strong affirmation of the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. So Simeon basically testifies, I have seen salvation, I have touched it, and now I can go in peace. And so, and so it is that we have met Christ in bread and wine, we have touched him and tasted his goodness, and we can go forth in peace. How appropriate. Go in peace, serve the Lord, thanks be to God. Simeon's song. Although Lutherans often end communion with Simeon's words, often in song, Episcopalians also frequently use the words of Simeon after communion, often in the form of a spoken prayer. So I've thought, how Lutheran, how Anglican, but it turns out that the choice to use Simeon's words after communion, that recommendation, that option, that choice, comes from John Calvin and his church in Geneva, the uber-Presbyterian, the ultimate Presbyterian. So ironically, Calvin created this practice that isn't used by Calvinists, but is well used by many Lutherans and Anglicans. Anyway, Simeon's song, the fourth of the great four songs the great canticles of Luke, is often used as a punctuation point. At the end of the day, at bedtime, for traditional Christians, at the end of communion, in some churches, at the end of life, for many who live and die as Christians, at the end of the 40 days of Christmas on February 2nd, and today, by happenstance, at the end of the calendar year. Our light has come a light we have beheld with our own eyes, and a light that promises to be for all people. With that thought in mind, we can say goodbye to 2017, the good and the bad. We can depart in peace, knowing that history and our lives, as Simeon said, are in the hands of this God who has come to us as a baby in Bethlehem. Amen.